Good morning. The scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And if you are using the Bibles provided for you, you can find the passage on page 977. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Volta, for reading that text. That text is going to be our text for the next four uh, sermons. We're going to do a short series to begin uh, 2024 uh, called Elevating the Church. I'll give a word of explanation here in a second for that. Uh, And then, starting in February, uh, we are going to embark on a longer uh, study of 1 Corinthians. So if you want to start reading... uh, 1 Corinthians, that would be a a good idea. And then also, I believe in February, yeah, February, uh, we're going to start a new Sunday school class, Adult Discipleship Hour class. So right now the men and women are split, and uh, in February we're going to come back together for this unit, and uh, we're going to walk through the, uh, quickly, it will be more of a survey, but uh, the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So those are two books that you can put onto your reading radar uh, for uh, coming up here. First Samuel and then also First uh, Corinthians here. So one of the reasons why I decided to do this sermon series is there's a perceived, uh, the perceived importance of the church is waning in our country. Um, we see this in declining attendance numbers. We see this in the shuddering of churches. But it's more than just out there in society. There's also a perceived waning of the importance of church even inside the church as well. Um, even in churches that may be growing in attendance numbers. You say, well, how so? Well, it means why people, they'll attend the church but they're not really being part of fulfilling the mission of the church or adapting an individual, individualistic mentality that the world has, making significant decisions without input from other Christians, uh, brothers and sisters, seeking therapeutic counseling rather than biblical counseling. And so there's a lot of reasons why we see maybe where the church and the importance of the church is losing its spot in the mind of not just society, but also in Christianity as well. So what we ought to do is we want to look at this text, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And over the course of four sermons, 
we're going to hopefully elevate the church back to its proper place. Okay? Uh, this is what we want to think through this year as putting church in the proper place in our lives um, as, we, as we live 2024 and beyond. So I'm going to be doing this, ser- this sermon, this first one. Next week, Wayne's going to be preaching because um, I was asked to preach at the Red Brick Church. Uh, I mentioned uh, we prayed for Jamie Bronze. She's having surgery this week. And, and Chris asked as a, as a favor, he said, would you come and, and minister to the Bricks? This is a, kind of a fragile time in some ways. And so the elder team here, we said, yeah, that would be a way we could serve them. So next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching I'm going to be using some of the things that we talked about in Lamentations uh, for the bricks down there at the Red Brick Church. And so I'd appreciate your prayers for that. And then week three and week four, I'll, I'll finish the series up here before we get into 1 Corinthians. So while the church seems to be waning, the reason why we want this elevating or the elevating the church is because the church is God's plan for the present. Whether or not we receive it as such... Uh, it is true that the church is God's plan for the present day follower of God, or to use an Old Testament term, God-fearer, which that, that term also bled into the New Testament a little bit. But for anyone who uh, wants to follow God, um, the church is the plan for the present day. So to ignore or even diminish the value and significance of the church is really to simply reject God's plan. And so this is the reason why we need to elevate it, make sure that it's in the proper spot here. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, try to make sure that as we live out 2024, we're, we're, we're having a healthy view of what it means to have church elevated. Now, there's a lot of terms that we can define here, and we'll probably do that throughout the sermon series a little bit here. And, um, and in the course of church history, there's been a time where the church has meant to elevate it to the point where it's above the Bible. Okay, so whereas the church or the traditions of the church are more authoritative than the Bible. That's not what we're talking about here. The Bible's always the authority here. And it's by, it's by bowing to the authority of the Scriptures that we're trying to elevate church to its proper place. The church here is made of people. It's not a building, as we all know. Um, it doesn't mean that it's infallible. Uh, it means that, it, that we're a bunch of sinners but it is a place that God has for us, and it should be something that is a significant part in our lives in many ways. And so as we go throughout the text, um, over the next four weeks, we'll hopefully prove that. Ephesians, just a, a word before I pray, a word about this text here. This is another one of those famous uh, sentence constructions of the Apostle Paul. If you studied any of Paul's writings, you know that the man did not know what a period was, okay? He just kept sentences going on. Uh, verses 11 through 16 in the original Greek, which the New Testament was originally written in Greek, Koine Greek, is one sentence, 11 through 16. Um, so if you turn a paper in students, okay, with a sentence this long, you are going to get marked down. So this is an example where you cannot follow the Apostle Paul, okay? All right? But the truth of this is very significant here. So it's one long sentence. And then I just need to say this. In verse uh, 11, it starts out, and he gave the apostles. Okay, so we'll start with a pronoun right away. We don't have the subject. That's actually Jesus, okay? And you can read the text ahead of it. You'll see that it's referring to Jesus. So what we're talking about today are gifts that Jesus gave 
for the success of his church. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. All right. So if I was going to put a thesis out there, it would be this. We elevate church by gladly receiving Jesus' gifts to the church. Okay? So that's what we hope to uh, present and defend here over the next few minutes here as we look at this. That one way that we elevate the church is by gladly receiving Jesus' gifts that he gave to the church. Okay? Let's pause. Let me pray. Ask God's blessing. And then we'll unpack this for the next few minutes. Father... It really is a joy to open your word and to teach from it. It's not just a joy, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's sobering. And so we we pause now because we want your spirit to guide us. I'm asking that I would say only things that would be honorable to you and faithful to the text. I'm asking for your spirit to guide me in that, and I'm asking for your spirit to guide those who are listening, whether in the room or online. I pray that your spirit would, would challenge us where we need to be challenged and would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, fortify us where we need to be fortified. And so I pray that this time of looking at this text would, would reap great, great harvest and benefit, spiritual nourishment for us today. And we know that that's possible through your work. And so as we're trying our best to be faithful here and, and, and removing distractions, Lord, we just pray that uh, your spirit would, would minister in a very, very personal way to us today. And, and we give you all praise and glory, and we're thankful for this time. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So, if we are to elevate the church by gladly receiving the gifts uh, that Jesus gave the church, that brings up the question then, what are these gifts? Okay, in verse 11 it says, and he gave, what is he saying? So what are the nature of the gifts? Okay, so if I was going to ask this, it would be, what is the nature of Jesus' gifts? Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, okay? So these are the gifts that he's given. So what Jesus does here, what Paul records here, is that rather than presenting gifts as a skill set or something, he's actually talking about people. He's saying that there's people that God's given for the success of the church. So in order for the church to carry out its message, or or excuse me, the the, message, the message, I guess, is one word, but the, uh, uh, the purpose of it, the only way, the, the mission of the church, the only way for the church to do that is to uh, use the gifts that Jesus has given for it. it it's kind of like if, if you give someone a gift so that they could use it for a specific purpose, but then they use it for something else, you'd be like, well, why are you not using it for that purpose? I gave it to you for this purpose. Same thing here. Jesus has given very specific gifts, but he presents them uh, not as skills as in other places in the scripture. So like in Romans 12, we'll see uh, a passage that talks about uh, the gifts that people may have, spiritual gifts we talk about, uh, administration or, or um, you know, prophecy, things like this. First uh, uh, Corinthians 12, Romans 12, these are two texts that talk about they're, 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 they're mainly given as a, as a skill set. Whereas in this text, as I've mentioned before, they're presented as people. And there's definitely an overlap here because people have to be, have the ones that have the skill set. So, so I get the overlap. But I just find it interesting when Paul is recording this here, and he's recorded it in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 as well, but when he's recording it here, he's saying that the, the, for the success of the church, for, for the church, what he's given to, he's given people. Very specific people that he's given in order for the church to carry out his mission. 
And so who are these people? Jesus' people are presented as people. Jesus' gifts are presented as people, rather. Well, he starts with the apostles and the prophets. And, and these really are the founders, if you will. These are the, the people who God used, that Jesus used, to establish the church if you will. And so we see this in in chapter 2 of Ephesians. If you just look across the page, probably, you look in verse 20. It says that you are fellow citizens at the end of verse 19 with the saints and the members of the household of God. What about this household of God? Built on the foundation of whom? The apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So it seems that the apostolic position, the apostles' position, those 12 apostles that Jesus set up, the whole purpose of that was to be the basis of the church, the cornerstone, well, not Jesus is the cornerstone, but that foundation where Jesus is the cornerstone of so that he can establish his church. Versus what he's saying here. So if we're going to elevate church to its proper place, we need to say, okay, what was the foundation of this? Well, the apostles and the prophets were. And so what it seems is that Jesus' incarnation, what he does when he became man, when he, what we just celebrated Christmas, when he became man, what that did is it moved the prophetic work to the background. Now, the reason why I say that is because in Hebrews chapter 1, you'll remember it says, the author there says, long ago, in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us how? By his son, right? Okay, so it seems that the author of Hebrews, what he's saying there is he's saying, okay, beforehand the prophets were at work, okay, and and we see that, and that was kind of the the prequel, if you will. Uh, That was what was leading up to it. Then he gives the apostles to start this. So these are the people that God has given for the success of the church, that these are these foundational people. Um, It seems that after Jesus established the church, the apostolic work actually falls away. So this position of apostle falls away. Now, apostle, I'm talking like with a capital A as in the title here. It really just means, or the word just means sent one. Okay, so in many ways, we're all apostles. Okay, in many ways. And so there are some faith traditions that you will see leadership's apostle so-and-so and things like this. We haven't adopted that terminology. But, uh, it, you know, in some ways, it's just, you know, talking about, you know, a sent one. In other cases, it's actually talking about a leadership position. The reason why we don't is because it's not the term that seems to be used throughout the New Testament. It seems that the apostle were primarily, there are, there are, there are you, know, uh, uh, you know, examples to the contrary, but in the main, they were these positions of these foundational people that the church was built upon. But it seems that even some of these same people, that as the church was established, their apostolic authority was actually diminished. How do I know that? Well, if we think of like Peter. When Peter, he was an apostle. In fact, Jesus himself said, it's on this rock I will build my church. Now he's talking about the hole there, but he's talking to Peter there and he's using a play off his word. And he says, I am going to build this. And so he was one of the, the key people, Peter was. But what happens with Peter is after the church is established, you actually see Peter 
downplaying his apostolic position. You read 1 Peter chapter 5. Read 1 Peter chapter 5, and you'll see what he does there is he refers to himself to the church and to the ministers, the people he's writing to. He doesn't refer to himself as an apostle there, although he's established that earlier on in the beginning of the book. But when he's talking to the church people there, he says, I'm a fellow elder, is what he says. And so it seems that, that as the church is established, this apostolic authority is actually moved, and it was only for those groups of people for that specific time. These are foundational, right? Uh, uh, the other example I would give is Paul, the apostle Paul, called an apostle born at the due time. What he does is remember in his letter to uh, 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 Philemon, remember this? There's a short book in the New Testament. He writes this, this little book. What was the issue? Does anyone remember? What was the issue? The issue of Philemon? Okay, yeah, there was slavery going on. There's a runaway slave. What was his name? Anyone remember? Onesimus, good. Okay, so Onesimus, what does Onesimus do? Is that he runs away, and Paul, what he's doing, he's writing back to Philemon saying, hey, he wants to come back and mend the relationship. He says, I want you to receive him back, and don't receive him back as a slave, but as how? The brother, right? Okay, there's an interesting thing how what Paul says in there. Do you remember this? He says, he's basically saying, I'm not going to command you, although I could but rather I appeal to you. Why did Paul do that? Because his apostolic authority as the church was established was diminished because the apostles were for the foundational part of the church, not necessarily the day-to-day operations of the church. And so we see this diminishing uh, effect of the apostles' role uh, as the church is established. And we don't have anyone else appointed as apostles after these guys. So the gifts that uh, Jesus presents are as people. The first are the, the founders, the apostles and the prophets. Well, then he goes on and he says, after the apostles and prophets, he says, the evangelists. Now, these are what I call the expanders. We don't have a whole lot in the New Testament about evangelists. We really don't. In fact, other than here, um, I only know of two other times that the word comes into play in the New Testament. Um, in, in terms of a, of, a, of a person or an office. Now, maybe I missed something. So if, if right now someone's fact-checking me through Google or something like that, let me know afterwards if I missed one. But my, to the best of my knowledge, it only comes up in two places, two other places. And one of that is Philip is called the evangelist in Acts 21. And then Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 to do the work of an evangelist, Okay. It doesn't seem like that there's a, there's a lot about this. In fact, there is not a lot about this. It seems that these were people that God uniquely gifted and uniquely established and put into practice for them to expand the church. Okay? They were gifted with the disposition and the means of travel. Okay? Traveling, uh, some people, just out of curiosity, how many of you like to travel? How many of you like to travel? Okay. Okay. How many of you, just, that's not your thing. You raise your hand. Okay. A few of you. Okay. Okay. That's, that's how it is, right? That's how it is. I, I personally like to travel. Other people, it's just like, nope, I'm, I'm happy to stay home. And, and it's fine. It's a disposition that God has given to us. 
So it seems that God gave a disposition to certain people, but not just the disposition, but the opportunity and the means to travel to other places for the work of carrying out the gospel and carrying out and expanding and starting of other churches. So these evangelists, because a church is not a building, a church is believers. And so there's people that had to be saved, they had to be established in these other communities all over the place, and evangelists would go out. And it seems that Philip had a piece of that ministry, and Paul talking to Timothy, who was kind of a temporary pastor in Ephesus, he says, do the work of evangelists. Continue beyond where you're at in the city of Ephesus. Have a vision for beyond Ephesus is what he's saying there. So it seems that the gifts that God has given for the establishment of the church, if we're going to elevate church to its proper place, we need to know first there was a foundation that Jesus wisely established for us. So we have it there. We have a foundation we can stand upon. And then he's moving it out and pushing it out beyond one location. It's not just one temple or one church that everyone's supposed to come to. No, it's supposed to be out throughout all the world. So these are the gifts that God has given to the church. So we have the foundation, the founders, then we have the expanders. Then we come to this last part here of verse 11. It says, pastors, the pastors and teachers. So these are what I'm calling the leaders of these churches here. So pastors and teachers. Now, there's a question. Some older translations have a different punctuation than what newer translations have. Uh, There's a comma in there. So what it appears is that we're talking about two different types of people here, pastors and teachers. Other translations, it has what the the ESV has here, is it appears almost like they're one, pastors and teachers. What is it? Is this talking about two people or is this talking about one type of person here? My study, I land on that is actually referring to one type of person. Here's the reason why. You know, forgive the, the, the grammatical lesson here, but there's a definite article in front of every one of these, the pastors or the, um, the, the prophets, the, the apostles, the evangelists. And then we have a definite article in front of the pastors and, um, and teachers. We do not have another definite article of the in front of teachers. What that means is the singular definite article is therefore describing both of the terms that come after that. So the pastor's teachers. So some people would even translate it a hyphen, uh, a pastor hyphen teacher, a pastor slash teacher. Um, Also, both terms include teaching. I think this is the point that Paul is driving home here. Because while uh, uh, pastors really are a subset of teachers, all pastors will teach, but not all teachers are pastors. And so what he's saying is I've given pastors to the church to lead, okay, but they're going to be teaching. That's going to be a primary means by how they're going to lead. So I think that's what Paul's saying. I think it's the best way to understand the grammar and the understanding. And lots of scholars uh, uh, would agree with that interpretation on that as well here. So what is happening here? When Jesus established a church, he intentionally gave gifts so that the church would succeed. Those gifts are, the inform, are in the form of people called to specific purposes, particularly in specific times. So it seems that there was a, a foundational period, then there was an expanding time, which continues a little bit to this day, but there's a largely 
uh, a leading time that God has given to the church and he's given people for these positions. That's the nature of the gift, okay? Now, in order to understand this, what's the purpose of these, okay? I'm not going to go through all the uh, apostles and prophets. I've kind of already done that on the evangelists. I'm going to center on what I think what Paul is centering on here, and that is these pastor, and you'll notice I put the hyphen, pastor teachers, okay? So the purpose of Jesus' gift to pastor teachers. So whenever I teach on this text or a text similar to this to a church as a pastor, it always feels a little awkward, Okay, I'm, not, I'm just going to put that out there. Because really, essentially, if someone were to say, Jeremy, are you saying that you're God's gift to our church? I would say yes. Okay. And then I would follow up with, keep your receipt. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, but it is something that God has given pastors to churches. And so I, I wouldn't be a faithful teacher or shepherd if I... If I skirt around that because it seems a little self-serving here. Now, I'm not saying I'm the best gift. I mean, your, your mileage will vary on what type of gift you get here. But, you know, I'm a gift, okay? <laughs> so, uh, and all the other elders, they're gifts to the church. And that's what the text is teaching here. So what's the purpose of it, though? What are we supposed to be doing as pastor teachers here? Again, the text is clear. It says, it says he's given all these things. Now, verse 12, it says, to equip the saints. Now, right away, we know what the purpose is. He says, here's the reason why. They're to equip the saints uh, for the work of ministry. So really, we're to equip workers is what we're supposed to do. So the primary purpose of pastor teachers is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. Now notice the connection of teacher to pastor here. The equipping part of pastoral work requires teaching. This is the reason why we prioritize preaching and teaching at our church here. Is this a, we, we, we prioritize this through uh, having a full-time pastor. Which is, again, I know other churches that don't have that. They, they would love to have that and just they don't have the means to do that. God in his kindness has afforded that to us. And it's been a priority of the church. And it's always been a priority of the church long before I was here. And by God's grace, it'll be long after I'm here. It's, it's a biblical priority of having someone who can have the time necessary to dive into the study, dive into the books and study. This is why we prioritize tools here. And there's, there's books and things like this. You, you go into my office and, and normally people say, wow, there's a lot of books here. And the reason why I always say this is, you know, you want to walk into a place, a mechanic that has a lot of tools. You don't want to take your car to a mechanic shop and then he has no tools at all. He's got a hammer and a screwdriver. He's like, I'll do my best. You know, you, you want someone who has tools and availability. You want to go to a doctor who they have the machines that they need and the testing equipment and things like that. If, you, if a doctor just only had a stethoscope and that was all he had, you'd probably be finding another doctor. And it doesn't necessarily mean the doctor's a bad guy. It just means tools are important. And so the church provides tools and the church prioritizes that so that I can teach and the other elders can teach. I just gave some books to some of our other teachers for our next series. And I, 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 I'm going to be giving some more out to some others as well about our next series. These are tools 
uh, for us to, to help teach well. Uh, prioritize time uh, in, in, in say this is what we want, how we want you to spend your time. As the main teaching pastor here, Jeremy, we want you to prioritize uh, the, the teaching ministry. Now, that's not the only thing I do, and of course, there's plenty of other things, but I definitely feel, and I'm so thankful I'm so thankful that I'm preaching a message, this message, by saying church good job, than me actually appealing and saying, please, I need more time to be a faithful teacher. The church has been very gracious and very upfront in saying, please study the word. Please study the word. And so I commend the church at this point, and I'm so grateful. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing and a tremendous blessing. And so it's to equip the workers. So this is, this is a pastor teacher. We're to equip workers for what? To build the body of Christ. That's what it says, for building up the body of Christ. Now next week, Wayne is going to get into verse 13 about what all that means and what are some markers of that. But for now, the body of Christ, just know, is a favorite illustration of Paul to describe the church. You can see this in, in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Just look over there. And it says, uh, verse 22, and he's put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in in all. And not just here, but in chapter 5, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul leans on this metaphor quite a bit of that the, the church uh, uh, is like the body of Christ here. So that's what he's talking about, to build this up. And this can have local and universal implications. Local in terms of this congregation right here in Verona, and also universal in the fact that there's other churches that are beyond this. This is the reason why we pray for other churches. This is the reason why we try to minister to other churches. This is the reason why next week I'm going to be ministering down at the Red Brick Church uh, uh, because they're part of the universal church and there are brothers and sisters and they've asked if we could be partners with them during this difficult time, and, and we're glad to do that. So what God does is he uses pastors and teachers, or pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. As, as he does that, the body of Christ is built up. So therefore, if this is the purpose, pastors then of our church should prioritize the teaching component to our ministry. So that goes beyond me and then also to the other elders of our church is that this is something that we prioritize. Now, it doesn't mean we all have the same equal opportunities or the, or, or the same giftedness in all these areas, but this is a primary purpose of our calling as pastor teachers here. The goal, just keep in mind though, that the goal here, and this is the reason why it talks about building up, the goal is not in our teaching just to give you information and give you cool biblical facts, uh, to give you things that, you know, trivia questions so that, you know, on Tuesday night Bible trivia, which I know you all do, um, is, uh, you know, whatever the case is, that you have the most answers. That's not the purpose of our teaching. We do want you to know the Bible, uh, but it's possible to know the Bible and not be changed by it. It's possible to know a lot of scripture by heart and have passages and passages memorized, but it not be effective in our souls. And so the purpose of our teaching then is not just to give you information, but rather hopefully see lives transformed. And the reason why is because as lives are transformed, what is happening according to this text? 
The church is being built up. The body of Christ is being built up. So it's a wonderful thing that God has given to us here. You know, as I said, it is possible to have information and it not be changing our lives. I, I remember hearing a story about a pastor who had uh, gotten wayward and fall, uh, uh, it, it got himself entangled in an adulterous relationship. And uh, as he confided to another pastor uh, later on, he said, you know, I, 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 it was like I had no choice. I had no choice but to do this. The, the, the power, the temptation was so powerful. He said, I was driving to meet her for liaison. I was driving to meet her. And as I'm driving, I am quoting the book of James in Greek in my head because I studied it so much and all about temptation, all about it. I'm quoting it over and over again. He says, and I still ended up doing it. What went wrong? The other pastor wisely told him, said, you didn't need to be quoting James in Greek at that point. You needed to turn the wheel of the car around. That's what you needed to do. You knew what you had to do. So it's not about having another verse memorized or the amount of verses, although, again, I'm not diminishing any of that. The point is, is that we have to act on what we know. So as pastor teachers, it's not about us just saying, hey, have more information, have more information. We're looking for the church to put that into practice. But here's the frustrating thing for, for a teacher is you cannot force students to do what you're t- teaching them to do. You know that as a parent. If you're a teacher, you know that. And so we pray and we pray and we pray for this assembly because we love this assembly. And we are praying that God continues to use our, our meager teaching. And we're, we're fault. We, we have faults, but that God uses it to build up the body of Christ for his glory and for the good of every person that is part of this church. That's the purpose. So lastly then, as I'm, as I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to round the third base and head towards home here, how is this a function of the church? So, so we have the nature of the gifts that are in people. We have the purpose that's to build up, to, to, to teach primarily through, uh, build up the body of Christ through teaching uh, primarily. That's not the only thing. But there's, a, there's, and this is the reason why I, I wanted to put this in here is because I didn't want us to end the sermon here thinking, okay, so Jeremy, you see your job is only a teacher. No. It is much more there because we teach more than just uh, standing and lecturing. Okay, there's many more ways to do that. Um, there is in the scripture the, the the most common illustration. There's a motif all through scripture about spiritual leaders, and that is of a shepherd. Okay, that's the most common analogy that we see from Genesis to Revelation about any type of spiritual leadership. In fact, in fact, it's actually the metaphor, the, the analogy that Jesus uses for himself. So it seems that there is this uh, a great weight put on shepherding as a leader. You know, David was considered to be the example of spiritual leader, and they leaned on his shepherding. Psalm 23 is one of the most common and most well-known psalms. The Lord is my what? My shepherd, right? Okay, and so Jesus' post-resurrection conversation with Peter. Remember at the seashore, remember when Jesus and the meeting, and, and, and what does Jesus tell Peter to do there? What does he tell him to do? Feed my sheep. 
tend my lambs, okay? So Jesus is giving this metaphor to Peter, reminding him, saying, this is what I'm calling you to do. Peter uses this simile as well later on in his writings in First and Second Peter, for primarily First Peter. So there's this, there's this shepherding motif. So if we're going to say, okay, if we're going to accept God's gifts to the church, which in this day right now, according to this text, we have pastor teachers here. What should the expectation be that these pastors are doing? Okay, so what should you be expecting of Wayne and Rob and myself? That's the question here, okay? All right, so what should you be expecting? The way to answer this, I thought the most helpful way to answer this, is to turn to a passage that has where it shows what, when God was upset with shepherds who didn't do what they were supposed to do, okay? So go over to uh, Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, Ezekiel 34, okay? All right, I got to find Ezekiel. Okay, so Ezekiel 34. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there, this is page 722, okay? So now we're going to what, what God is doing here. He's upset with spiritual leaders of Israel because they were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and he's using, he's leaning on the shepherding idea in this, okay? So I'm in Ezekiel 34. Look at verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against who? The shepherds of Israel. He's not talking about the people who were, you know, out there with the lambs. This is the idea, the metaphor of spiritual leaders. He says, the spiritual leaders of Israel will prophesy against them and say to them, even to the shepherds, to the leaders, he's saying, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughtered the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. I'll stop there. So other than that, these shepherds were doing a great job, okay? Right? I mean, this is a scathing report of what we're doing. What they were doing is they weren't caring for the, the, the people that God had asked them to care for. They were just using them for their own personal gain, and that's it. So what's the function of it? If we're going to look at this text in Ezekiel 34, the first thing is that there has to be a feeding of the flock. And so the expectation of... Uh, of the pastors of our church. If we're going to elevate church to its proper place, we need to make sure that the pastors are feeding the flock. Now, primarily we do that through preaching and through teaching. This is the reason why we're explaining text to you. This doesn't mean that you can't do it on your own. This is not by any means, because we can carry an analogy too far, this is not by any means saying that you are incapable of understanding the Bible. If that's what you've heard to this, then either I've miscommunicated or you've misunderstood, because that's not what's being said. What is being said, though, is that God has asked people, leaders, to spend more time and have more resources and to give that to people who have less time and less resources to do that. And so we're trying to feed the flock here spiritually. Uh, secondly is strengthen the weak. One of the jobs of our, uh, um, our pastoral team here is to make sure if you're struggling primarily spiritually, you're weak. We want to help strengthen you. We want to we come alongside you. We want to encourage you 
in that. And so strengthen the weak. And so, and this is primarily for Rob, Wayne, and myself, we need to be aware of people who are weak then. Now, you can help us by being aware by telling us, but we still need to be aware. This is a challenge. I'm preaching a lot to me here today as I look forward to 2024 of what do we want this to look like here? So we need to feed the flock. We need to strengthen the weak. He goes on and talks about in verse 4 of, of healing the sick. Of those who are really sick, we need to provide, provide uh, a healing balm and, and medicine to people so that they can, they can be better and be well. Primarily, this is talking spiritually. So if someone, is, is their faith is, is very weak. As pastors, if you're struggling with doubts about God, let me just tell you, we view that as right here. Okay, we're trying to strengthen the weak or heal the sick here. We're not going to look at you and say, how dare you? I look down upon you. That's because that's not our role. Our role is to come alongside and say, how can we help? How can we strengthen you? Let, let me remind you of what the text here says. Let me remind you what God did over here. That's what we're trying to do, and we need to do that consistently if we're going to elevate church to its proper place. So heal the sick. Bind up the broken. A lot of these are, are uh, they're overlapping here. I'm just kind of giving the imagery of what is supposed to be done there. Then there's the protection of protecting the flock. The idea of saying this is not helpful for us. This is the reason why sometimes we'll say this type of teaching or this this theology out there is not helpful. It's not right. Uh, This author or this preacher is not a true preacher uh, of God's word. And so our job is to protect the flock. And so sometimes we'll see some teaching and, and things coming in and we're just like, that is not helpful for us here because it doesn't align with God's word. God's asked us to do that, protect the flock. Bring back those driven away. We do this all the time. You know, people, they stop coming, and so we give them a few weeks, you know, because, you know, things happen or whatever. But then, then we start, you know, calling, texting, sending emails. Hey, missed you. Where are you at? Because uh, sometimes it's just sickness and travel and everything compiles and everything's fine. Other times it's, uh, they're ticked off. But that's actually not the most common. The most common is not that someone's angry or upset. Most common is they've just simply drifted away. They got out of the habit of coming. Um, it's not that as important to them anymore. They're not mad about anything necessarily. Or maybe they'll just be like, yeah, I just don't know if that's really the best thing. And then so all the little things just start becoming magnified in their mind, and then they drift away. Our job is to go after people. Now, it's interesting, and we will tell you this, okay? This is just me being real here, okay? We will get often of... Stop, stop texting me. Or why? Or they'll just ignore. People just ignore us sometimes. And, we, you know, we try not to take it personally. You know, I cry myself to sleep once in a while. But that's, you know, <laughs> other than that, other than that, it's pretty good, you know. But the point is, though, in all, in all seriousness, is that when we try to go after some who are being drifting away sometimes, we actually become kind of seen as the enemy. And let me just tell you, we're only trying to do our jobs. If we're going to elevate the church's proper place, then we're going to go after people. Now, we don't believe that this church is the only church that people should go to. There's times where we've actually told someone, you know, I think you would be better suited over here. So we're not trying to keep everyone in this church. We're trying to keep people involved in a church. There's been so many times where we have counseled people and said, you know what, maybe it's better because of 
circumstances, geography, whatever the case may be, that that assembly is a better place for you to assemble. So it's not about us trying to bring you back to this assembly always, although that is our first and foremost, our goal, what we would love, is be involved in church. So this is what we're trying to do. Bring back those driven away. Seek the lost. There are lost sheep out there. This is, this is we need to lead the way in seeking the lost, okay? And then last in the text here, is lead the flock. We see these in those verses that are listed there. I, I went through that fairly quickly. And the reason why is because uh, there's, there's a lot of imagery there and we can press the metaphor a little bit too far. But you get the idea. You get the sense. If, as we begin 2024 and we're looking to elevate church to its proper place, it starts with the elders and the teachers of our church making sure that we have our function down. And that we have, uh, and we're doing what God has asked us to do. We have a responsibility to the church. And it's a responsibility that we take very seriously. This is why when an elder is installed in our church, you'll remember that there are, it's a long period. But then there's also, um, there's, there's vows that the elder takes because of what God has asked. These are gifts to the church. And we want to make sure that these gifts understand the significance of that. Pastor teachers will answer to God for how they fulfill their calling. He's, this text here in Ezekiel 34 is an account of God's displeasure of spiritual leaders. And Hebrews 13 says that we are going to give an account to God for those whom we shepherd. I, I take that, that very, very seriously. And I know the other elders do as well. So as we seek to elevate the church, be assured that the pastor teachers of NBC here, we're committed to being the best shepherds that we can possibly be. Now we're flawed, just know that. But we're recommitting to serving the flock of NBC to the glory of God here in 2024. So I started with this. We elevate the church by gladly receiving Jesus' gift to the church. In many ways, this is a sermon to the leadership. But in many ways, it's also... If this was given to the church, the church has to do something with them. So here's what we need to do as a church. These are the gifts that we received. Receive these pastor teachers as means to do, and so receive them. What that means is to do everything that you can in supporting their calling. And so giving to meet the budget, which the church has done a great job at. We're so thankful for that. That helps with that. Having realistic expectations with time and abilities. Again, the church has done a good job with that. Be the type of person, you see, Hebrews chapter 13 says that they will give an account. It says, let they do so with joy and not with grief. Okay? So be the type of person that the pastors can give an account to God with joy and not with grief. Share encouragement. Let us do our job. So don't ignore or box out or resist the care that we tried to show. And sometimes we don't know what to do. I'll just be honest. Sometimes we, we, we don't know what the right answer is. And so we, we, we try to have a relationship, but people kind of give a stiff arm and say, okay, we'll, we'll give some space. And we don't always know when, when to get close because, you know, we try to keep within arm's length and try, try to keep there. But, but we know that if some people just don't want that, okay, there's, there's no problem. And so, so allow us to, to, to do our job and it, 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 to the best of our ability. But above all, pray, 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 pray for us. To receive these gifts means to follow the leadership that they, uh, to the extent that we follow Christ. At the most basic level, this means showing up. Uh, it could also mean involving yourself in a ministry, even if you don't see the need. 
Okay, he's, he's like, I'm going to support the, the gifts that God has given to the church, these leaders, and their teachings. And so I'm, I'm going to support that and show up. This means resisting an anti-authority mindset that pervades our thinking. None of us like to trust those in authority. And it's at an all-time high within the church uh, in general. Not necessarily saying NBC, I'm just saying the church in general. Uh, recon- recognize the tendency and resist it. To receive Jesus' gifts means to receive their teaching with humble thoughtfulness. It is okay to question. We always welcome that. Um, in fact, most teachers welcome a discussion about what they've taught. But just do so with grace. Just like the teachers that we should be expected to teach with grace and humility and humble thoughtfulness. Receiving the teaching means putting it into practice. Remember the purpose of pastor teachers is to equip the saints for the ministry and the building of the body of Christ. And that can only be done if what is taught is put into practice. And so as we begin this sermon series, we begin this idea of elevating church, it starts with the gifts that God's given to us. And for this time, he's given pastor teachers a very specific job to do. And it's, a, it's an overwhelming task at times. But we're so thankful to serve in this capacity. And I love this church. And this sermon is not coming from a position of I'm upset with the church in any way. It's just an idea of a a, a tone in general in society of church is not that important. And, And boy, church is so important. We start with what God has given to us in the leadership of it. So good pastors will always point the flock to Christ, the chief shepherd. 